So I had this dream last night. Yeah, what about? I was a superhero lawyer called the Deal Closer. Oh my. Yeah, and my superpower was closing deals and giving clients high value services in short time. Well, maybe you've been influenced by Deal Closer, the pod's new sponsor. Oh, right. I mean, it makes sense. Deal Closer does have a superpower vibe that helps lawyers close deals, bill, and collect faster. It's all coming back to me now. They offer document management, collaboration, e-signing, and really easy comparisons between versions. That's right. But to be clear, I do support your superhero aspirations. I mean, you're close already. And maybe while you get there, you can use Deal Closer. It's time I work with one of the fastest growing transaction management companies in North America. And if you visit cloud.dealcloser.com slash lawyerlife, you can get an extended free trial of 30 days and a 15% discount off a monthly or one-year subscription. That's cloud.dealcloser.com slash lawyerlife. Check it out today. Welcome to the Lower Life Podcast, where we seek to navigate our days with a little less stress and ideally a lot more fulfillment. In this season six, we focus on resetting our lawyer brains. On today's episode, we discuss high performance. We ask whether the profession misunderstands true high performance and how we can all shift our perception toward a higher performing life. I'm Mike Anderson. And I'm Darlene Tonelli. Do, do, do. Hi, Darlene. Hello, happy Friday. Happy Friday to you. How are you? I'm doing well, thank you. Feel good. Good? Yeah. Or high performing? Oh, goodness. No, <laughs> I, I'll tell you straight away. This is a forever endeavor of mine. The mm-hmm. elusive, proper high performance, not the uh, prima facie <laughs> high performance that with the profession sometimes, I think, misrepresents or misunderstands. And we're going to get to that in this episode. So today we're discussing high performance, as we've mentioned. And in this season six, we're focusing on resetting our lawyer brains. And so what we're hopeful to talk about today and illustrate is that we assume a high performing lawyer looks a certain way. And that's, there's a bunch of different symbols or qualifiers to the stereotypical high performing lawyer. I'm sure you can think about many, but it's often Bills the most hours, has the most clients, wears the fanciest clothes, lives in a, an expensive neighborhood, looks a certain way, speaks a certain way, seemingly is super important and blah, 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 blah. There's a bunch more things I'm probably missing. Darlene, am I missing any? Wins awards. Oh, wins awards. Yes. Awards. Yeah. <laughs> awards. Which we should do a whole episode on, but yes, yeah. awards. Yeah. That's true. Yeah. Award winning. And cases. Yeah. Yeah. And what we're thinking about today is maybe that's not actually, maybe those are not actually indicators of high performance. And so, because oftentimes, just like good old Mike working way too hard in the heat, there's a downside to a lot of those things. And those downsides can lead to uh, real barriers to high performance and some very serious outcomes like mental health struggles and and, uh, stressors on relationships and families and otherwise. So, what we're actually thinking about today is maybe high-performing lawyers are the ones that don't appear that way. And maybe those that take bill less time, take vacations, keep a manageable client list are actually better at setting themselves up for success in the long run. Well, and where this comes from, we were, we were prompted by reading some lawyerly sort of social media where 
the word high performing was used. And both of us kind of took it away and thought, well, are we all clear on what high performing really is versus what lawyers say it is? And why do lawyers talk about being high performing and finger pointed directly at ourselves? Because we have taken high performance on as, as a topic many times on the podcast, really focused on how do we improve our own performance to the best of our ability to do what we want to do. But what we observed was that people in our profession use this term a lot, but it tends to have a more negative connotation and it tends to glorify the busyness and the stress and the pain in a way that I don't think is the right way to look at it if we're looking at it from sort of an executive coaching perspective. So we're going to get into it from that angle. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking about it because the point of this season is to look at the things we all tell ourselves that keep our profession stuck in bad patterns and break them, ideally. Absolutely. Yeah, so let's get started on that. So what we realized is that it's a high-performance life that we want and not necessarily high-performing work. Right. So on that note, Darlene, let's start with law school, Darlene. <laughs> what behind the ears? What was her thought about what successful lawyer Darlene would be 10, 20 years into practicing? Well, I think we didn't have any clue, first of all. But I think if we were to extrapolate what law school was like, I think that in law school, I did have a sense that the, the things that worked in law school were going to work beyond law school. So I would say during the three years of law school, I worked really hard in a sort of toiling way that I hadn't previously. And I think that there was a direct connection between grades and jobs at that time. And there was very much this culture of who's working longer. Oh, we're all going to get behind if we're not uh, in the library the same amount and very competitive. And I think that that did carry over for me. I had assumed, whether rightly or wrongly, that that would be the same recipe for success mapped onto the firm. And when I showed up at the firm's that I worked at in the early days as summer and articling, there were lawyers who really fit that. And maybe I was looking for them because that was my preconceived notion of what success looked like. Or maybe I was just not really able to look at something that looked different and see it as successful. I'm not sure what the, what the exact source was, but I remember walking around the corporate department and seeing all those little gold or glass deal plaques, you know, those things. I don't know if they still give those out. Yep. Do you know which ones I mean? They're like a little, yeah. And a whole desk full of those. I was like, oh, <laughs> busy and important, right? But I think that somewhere along the way, I started to idolize a different type of lawyer. So that's, that's what I thought it was in law. Does that match with what you thought? Yeah, I think it, especially in the early days, it's very easy to get swept up in that who works harder, who spends more time in the library, who appears to be in their books the most, you know, that that's kind of intoxicating. And I think I, I definitely overworked looking back in law school because of that, among probably other factors. But I remember distinctly when I was summering, we had a new lawyer, a very experienced lawyer came to the firm I was working at. And their office wasn't like decorated with a bunch of awards and they didn't know anything about them at the time until I started to work with them and working with them, I was like, this lawyer is incredible, like friendly, focused on the client, not didn't seem overtaxed, left at five o'clock every day, so on and so forth. 
And then I realized after working with them and really learning a lot about them and reading online, obviously about the, the senior lawyer I was working with, this is uh, Queen's Council. This is an award-winning, highly, highly respected lawyer. Now, I mentioned an award and we said that <laughs> maybe that's not the best qualifier, but the thing that impressed me most about them was actually the work ethic and the way they treated people. And that that started to like kind of form what I wanted to become. And I, that, that did form what I saw as high performing because a couple offices down, there were some folks that seemed to be really struggling and, and not struggling with the work, but I would say how they've structured their practice, the volume, the hour demands, all those sort of things. And I looked at the two and I thought, I'd rather be this senior lawyer than some of the other folks who brilliant, I, uh, great people, but were just bogged down in this other reality. So... What I'm interested in talking about with this is just to take the perspective a little bit from outside the legal profession and say, well, what is high performance to people who aren't lawyers? And as you, as anyone who listens to this podcast will know, I'm vaguely obsessed with the idea of high performance coaching <laughs> and self-improvement. And I have, there's a book by Brendan Burchard, who is in that world, and it's called High Performance Habits. And we'll link to it in the show notes, but it's something about why exceptional people are that way or something like that is the subtitle. And his definition is high performers are people who maintain success and well-being over a long period of time. They excel more than their colleagues and can adapt to almost any situation. Here's the key part. High performers are not dissatisfied with themselves, their lives, or their work. They are happier than most people. That to me is the thing that we don't put in the list of things that we're supposed to strive for in our profession. Increasingly, yes, but historically, I think no. So what he points out is that these high performers are succeeding beyond standard norms and they're consistent and they're steady. And they are always exceeding expectations and building new skills and competencies. And that is what high performance is. And that is a definition that I think we would do well <laughs> to bring into law, right? Does that make sense? Absolutely. I think it was almost like happiness or satisfaction or enjoyment was almost treated kind of like, not even as secondary, but almost as elusive or like a joke. Like, when I was in law school, it was like, well, that's not... Or as a result of the hard work. That's the way I saw it. I did see, like, in my few, my early years of law, I saw some people who did have a lot of those things. It seemed they had good physical health, which we'll get into the importance of. They had a good, seemingly a good family relationship. They got away on the weekends. They seemed to have a life outside the office. But my view of it was that they had done their time, in quotes, and then they were able to live this good life. And I don't know where I got that idea, but I think what Brendan Burchard's talking about is they have always been that way. They may have put in some hard years, but they were consistently keeping the eye on the performance throughout. And it's that consistency that has led them to be a lifelong high performer. Because I think in our profession, we have these people, you can probably think of one right now, whether from a place that you encountered in the early days or since, there are these people, but there's this whole other tier of lawyers in our profession that are just lionizing the work part and forgetting all the other pieces of that definition, would you say? For sure. Yeah. So I think what I realize when we're talking about how to reset the lawyer brain on high performance is 
let's switch it from high performance work to high performance life, right? What is a high performance life and how do I get one? And that's where the focus has to be. And what I find so helpful, and I know we talk about this a lot on the podcast, and I always talk about my own personal process of trying to set goals in multiple segments of my life, not just at work, not just financially, but all the things that lead into a balanced existence. And really, high performance based on the definition that I read earlier is like having habits that keep you healthy having positive relationships at the office and outside the office, doing service outside of work, not just only sort of being financially motivated for your own self. And then really, as Brendan Burchard's book is premised on all these interviews with high performers, he was really asking a lot of different people across all kinds of different industries, why are you such a high performer? What is it that you do? And then observing their their behaviors and taking their answers. And what he noticed was most of them had some really high degree of humility. So there was this concept that they were just doing their thing, which I really liked. And I also don't think that's how we envision high performance in our profession, right? It's sort of you you envision the most brash, outspoken, successful people. I do anyway, I think. Yeah. I mean, lots to unpack there. The one thing that I'm very fascinated with is so your mention of, let's say, getting involved in the community or dedicating yourself to relationships outside of work. Like these things are only possible if you basically run counter to the assumption that you should be working almost every hour of the day to meet a billable target. Right. And this Mm -hmm. is one of the things that we're focusing on, obviously, is is what we're told actually could be the opposite of what is true. There's, I'm not at all an expert or really, I'm just starting to learn about uh, Taoism. But there's one thing that I learned from the philosophy recently that I loved was the idea that space and emptiness is really important and the metaphor of a bowl. And it's only useful because it has a void. This kind of reminds me of that. In every sense, professionally or personally, you're of very little use to your clients or your loved ones or your friends or your community if you have no space to provide to them, right? If you are Mm -hmm. literally like just rammed full of work and have a huge list of clients and you are sprinting for a full day every day, there is no room for anything else. And there is no room for even clients that need something quickly or have an urgent matter that sends everything spiraling professionally. And obviously, if your focus is strictly on the build hour or the money you make, there won't be room for your friends, family, and people that want to spend time with you. And so the metaphor, I think, is really sound and and speaks to what we're Um, getting to here is that you need to make space in your life to be a high performing person. And I think I might've mentioned this once before, but I was always just so surprised by it. I remember in early in my time as a lawyer, I had a lunch with a managing partner of a Bay street firm. And I can't remember how it came up. I think I might've asked for advice or something about that. But this person mentioned that they take at least two hours every week at, blocked out of their schedule to do nothing. 
sit in their office, read books, research, listen to stuff, just to stay in touch with new ideas, right? So that innovation was available to them. And that I, I hmm. blew my mind. Like, how could somebody with such an important title at such a Bay Street firm do that? Like, that seems so counterintuitive. But that's, there's a lot of high-performing people. You hear the same thing about really successful business leaders or others that you can't progress. You can't come up with new ideas. You can't really service yourself or other people if you're overloaded, right? So I know that's only maybe one point that you mentioned in the list there, but it's so on my mind lately and it's difficult to butt up against because our profession is so focused on time spent serving clients that there has to be more, right? There has to be room for other stuff. Yeah, and it's it's the space that is what gives you I know we've talked on the podcast over the years about different tools that we use to keep ourselves in the game and in the zone and all of that. But really space, time, having margin at the beginning of the day before you get drawn into emails and all of these little strategies are really about remembering that we as lawyers are using our brain and our body. Like that's what we do. And yet the idea of how many of us skip our workouts because we have a call or we have, we can't get to the, we allow something to be booked in our schedule over top of our usual workout time, or and we just don't get to it because we are, the volume is too much. Well, that catches up with us. And high performers just as a rule aren't doing that. That's not to say they never miss a workout, but they're prioritizing things that remember that they are the instrument of their profession or they're in the Silicon Valley world. I think this is quite well accepted, right? This idea of how do you keep yourself in a high-performing state is really, really core to some of the innovative companies that are out there and the way they treat their human resources. So I would really love it if we could bring in a bit more of that into the lawyerly world that we inhabit. But the other thing that I thought was really interesting when I was reading up on this was just the things that will stop someone from being a high performer. Now, these are kind of surprising, but I think it's worth outlining some of them because I was really struck when I read them like, oh, those are pretty common things in the legal profession. So would you like to hear them? I would love to. Is it in list form? Because you know how I love to digest lists. You know, it is. It's three <laughs> points. Oh, even better. So, a three point list. The best kind. Yeah. Three points. So let me lay out the list just for your interest sake. And then I will give a little bit more detail or, or maybe you can figure it out <laughs> on your own. But first one, so the things that will, that executive coaches say, if they meet someone and any of these three things are present, it will either immediately or sometime in the future make them no longer a high performer. Even when, if the person, if the coach meets someone in a high performing state, but these three elements are present, there is a high chance that the person will lose their edge somewhere along the way. So superiority is number one. I'll explain. Dissatisfaction, <laughs> lawyers, and neglect. These are the three things that can really torpedo high performance. So superiority, you probably can understand what that is, but it's basically starting to think that you're separate or better because of what you've accomplished. So starting to think that the way you do things is the only way or stopping asking people for input or 
stopping learning, like the, the managing partner that you mentioned, deciding you no longer need the two hours because you know everything or something similar. And I think that when I read that, I just thought, you know, that applies to young associates as much as to partners, don't you think? Yeah. And what one thing that really it reminds me of, sorry, my head is in that F1 show that's on Netflix right now that everyone's going mad for. <laughs> yes. We've been watching it. This is this thing exactly came up. So it, in an episode I recently watched, it's a, a good example. I think one of the teams has this like brand new young driver. And obviously the team is run by someone who's been in F1 for a very long time and has a host of experience. And the young driver is struggling. And the gentleman that runs the team gives him advice. Cut to an interview with the driver saying, I know what I need to do to perform and I don't need anybody's advice. Like that, that superiority, right? And I think that what this young driver was missing is that he might have had good results in the past, but that doesn't make him a high performer or someone destined for success. And the way that you can build your way toward that is by taking on other people's experience and advice and finding ways to incorporate it into your own unique circumstance. And I, that driver wound up not doing well. And I think that I am not there yet, but he might not be on the team anymore in the next episode, <laughs> perhaps because of that. And, and this is very tempting for folks who wind up becoming lawyers, I think, because they are type A people who have got great marks, got their way through law school, were called to the bar. These are people who have a track record of success. Oftentimes, it's tempting to think that that is only because of your specialness. But in truth, not realizing that other folks have huge amounts to contribute to your life and your potential fulfillment and your ability to be a high performer. I mean, it's a, it's a, it's a lost opportunity uh, for sure. So I love superiority as the, the first. Yeah. And I think it also just reminds us that when we succeed, we are part of a team. So I think that there is a tendency to think it's one person and that's just never true, even at law firms. So if you've got a junior associate who's done a bunch of work, but is making a mistake or something, they're still part of the team. It's still, you know, it's an organism. It's not just the one person. So that, that to me was really, really relevant. Second thing, dissatisfaction. Like it's almost a caricature of the dissatisfied lawyer, right? And I think some of the elements of the business model in law firms really amp up dissatisfaction, like partnership income allocation. You could be perfectly satisfied with your career, then learn that you're only making 2% less than the partner down the hall and suddenly you're dissatisfied. Perfect recipe for dissatisfaction. And then the other one is this thing we've talked about a lot, like, oh, I'm not busy enough. What's going on? Why does so-and-so down the hall have more work than me? And then suddenly, oh, I'm too busy. I can't be this busy. Or I know so many lawyers in practice who that's just where they're at most of the time. Either unhappy because we're too busy or unhappy because we're not busy enough. And are we going to lose our job? Right? So that is a big factor in our profession. And one of the things that is a, a massive performance destroyer. Does that ring any bells for you? Yeah, for sure. I think it would be just so, so, so difficult to be a sustainable, high-performing person and just have dissatisfaction woven into your everyday. This is totally intuitive to me. This doesn't mean that there aren't bad days and difficult struggles, but that this is like a pattern of being disconnected from joy in, in what you're doing. 
right? And there's one thing that we've talked about before, I think this uh, idea of maladaptive perfectionism, which in law, we all have high yes. standards. And then oftentimes we beat ourselves up about imperfection and obsessive concerns about mistakes associated, you know, that can drive to dissatisfaction as well. There's a lot of work to do here. And that reminds me of another sports example, I guess, the, you know, the movie Moneyball, book Moneyball. Billy mm -hmm. Bean, who was the general manager, I think he's now president of the Oakland A's. He was a really talented player, highly touted coming out of high school. And he got in his head so much about failure. And he said it drove him to really stop being the superstar that he was, a lot of people said he was destined to be. He looked at his roommate at the time in the minor leagues, this guy named Lenny Dykstra, who uh, was just kind of a guy who didn't care and would strike out. And it would seem like he hit a home run when he got back to the dugout. And he said Lenny Dykstra's biggest strength was the fact that he just let stuff roll off his back. And so you have Billy Bean, who could, you know, was destined to be a high performer, but laced into his exact profession, being a professional baseball player, is failure. And he couldn't shake it. And so that's another fascinating example of this coming to fruition in a public example that we can all see uh, being sports, but uh, definitely applicable to our profession as well. For sure. And then the third one, neglect, where obsession about one area of your life hurts another area. So I think what, what spoke to me about that was that there are a lot of us who have, I mean, we, we probably all, even amongst our circle of lawyers that we know, uh, and I have been this person, and I apologize to all my friends for these years, but the years where you're the friend who always bails because work, right? And when I, in my case, I have a lot of friends who are still practicing and like, guaranteed someone will be not not as much anymore but in the early days often like someone had work so there was a just friends came second to work always and then similarly with family and everything else so i do think that neglect is baked in to the way that we roll as a profession for a lot of us and that is a problem for high performance he in the book brendan burchard says hard work focus and success is something that we that made us successful in the first place. But then at a certain point, it becomes a problem because we're putting, we haven't acknowledged that our life now includes more things and we need to live that way for the rest of our life. Like law school is three years, law career is 40 years or more, depends. So you can't sustain that level without consequences on your relationship, your health, et cetera. So that's that was a key. Those are the three: superiority, dissatisfaction, and neglect. Yeah, thanks, Darlene. Is I love to wrap things up. Uh, I suppose call me Santa Claus. <laughs> Yikes, Santa Mike. Yeah, Santa. Oh yeah. Yikes. I love that too. Mm -hmm. This is something. So before I get to that full wrap up, I just want to say out loud: this is totally something that I like am focused on and continue to struggle with and try to figure out how exactly I can ensure high performance in my life for the long term. There's times, and I've mentioned them on the podcast recently as well, there's times where I have felt out of balance because I have neglected exercise or time to meditate or other things. You just downtime. Certainly, I neglect far too often. So I especially just want to say that I think this is really hard. And there are structural things that make it very difficult on top of just the fact that it's hard work. And so just acknowledging mm -hmm. that this is a goal that we're all aspiring to. And it's not simple. And we're not, I don't want to speak for you, Darlene, but I'm not there 100% at this point. But in the end, I think it's an important thing to realize that to have a high performing life, 
You need habits that protect your health and well-being, positive relationships at work and outside of work, service to other people outside of work, and humility, that it, which is the foundational value of high performance. You can't maximize your potential. You can't maximize your potential by minimizing others. Nice summary. Hey, thanks. I'm going to keep humble with it. Because <laughs> Don't let it go to your head that you do. Good I'm summaries. on that. Yeah. I'm on that road. Okay, so great. We will take a break and we'll be back with our goods and grapes. The Lawyer Life Podcast is brought to you by Interalia Law. Interalia lawyers have big firm training, in-house experience, and a wide range of expertise in technology, media, and entertainment. Our advice is business-focused, speedy, and practical. To learn more, visit interalialaw.com. That's I-N-T-E-R-A-L-I-A-Law.com. And we are back with our goods and grapes. Goods are things we want to promote and support, and grapes are things that annoy us. Darlene. I'm going to have the thing that I want to promote and support, which I already have done on at Lawyer Life Pod Instagram, but your pool that you built. Like it really was something. And I know that you mentioned it at the top of the episode as a source of hard work, but at the end of it, something which should not be lost is that there, there is a really good thing that happens when you, when you do, like you put real effort into something to make it wonderful and you get to have it for the whole summer. And I just thought it was very good. I I would not do it on your day off in future. That's my only suggested amendment, but it was really beautiful. Yeah, the results were good. The process can be improved. Here I am with that maladaptive perfectionism. But anyway, uh, thank you, Darlene. That's very kind. I appreciate it. I have a big update for the, the pod listeners, and it's my good. And I think that if there's anything has been documented on this podcast, aside from the obvious, it's that I have had a years-long struggle growing grass in my backyard. Do you recall my <sighs> constant mention? Yes. How could I forget? This is big news on the yeah. pod. I have to say, I'm crossing my fingers. I'm knocking on wood. I did it, Darlene. I have a lush, beautiful green lawn in almost every part of my backyard. Wow. And it just goes to show <laughs> that persistence and positive thinking and some watering and some lawn food goes a long way. And I am so happy. It gives me so much joy. Okay. I have to ask though. Will you be the guy on the street that mows the zigzag, like perfect diagonal? I came up with a zigzagging dad. I have to preface that. I know. I'm so much more... did I. This is what we have in common. Yeah. I maybe, <laughs> let me say this as it, maybe I'll, <laughs> I'll refrain. I was going to say, maybe, yeah, you don't have to take time to cut your lawn twice and you can find other ways to contribute to your life or your own well-being, but I'm not going to judge people for cutting the lawn twice. I know I cut my lawn just so it's cut, but I'm just so happy. And all of you at home, thank you for your letters and your kind words of support over the number of years. And I couldn't have done it without you. So. The, <laughs> yeah, your garden has received some oh, support man. for sure. I, I'd like some pictures of this lawn. I will. I will, I will take a picture them. of my lawn, probably of my ferns, which I'm, I'm just really happy with my ferns right now. <laughs> A lot. People scrolling through their feet will be like, what's with this lawn? 
It's going to be only of a... Well, out of context, it might need a bit of an explainer. There are imperfections to the lawn. Don't get me wrong. It's not a perfect lawn. But three years ago, it was wood chips across the whole yard. And now it is a lush, full lawn. And I would say 75% of the area, which is great because now we can run around without shoes on. And it's very satisfying. Anyway. Very good. Do you have a grape? Uh, Do I have a grape? Hmm. I have just noticed that through this pandemic, I've gotten into a little bit of a habit of not reading books. You know, I'm a big book reader. Mm -hmm. Even earlier in the pod, when you mentioned Moneyball, you said movie or book, which was, I'm sure, for my benefit, because I am more of a book person. And I, in that case, I did see that movie. I think I also read the book. Both great. Love both. I get so much out of books. And I... I used to have a thing where I would try to read like 40 books a year. I would I would write them down when I read them and keep track of how many books I had read in the year just to keep myself on it. I may need to get back into doing that just because I keep scrolling on my phone, like news and stuff. And I'm, I'm trying not to read news. And I'm finding that there is that time when you need downtime. And if I have a book started, I will read it. And if I don't have a book started, I will just waste time. I don't Anyway, this is a very Darlene-specific gripe. Tiny habits, they say, if you want to read a book, open the first page. Yeah, or have books around. Like, I have five or six books in my house that I have started that just aren't there in, like, I don't have them in the place where I would, if I'm going to have breakfast and I have a minute, I might, like, read a book for a second. Anyway, books are key. It it sort of goes to what we said earlier, where you're, you're challenging your mind, you're getting out of your day, books can take you there. So I, that's my gripe that I, about myself, that I need to do that a bit more. How about you? Okay. Uh, recently, we bought different dishwasher soap. Uh, <laughs> oh my God. And, and it's just not working with the dishwasher. And it's one of those things. And it's hmm. uh, very great, annoying. I'll give you my suggestion after the pod. I don't want to... <laughs> <laughs> I or just have to go back to the soap that worked is all. It just wasn't in the store. I see. So, so, yeah. yeah. Do the thing that works. That's generally yeah. good advice in life, right? Yeah. Why change? What? Why fix what's not broken? No, but we've been there. Tell me you've not been there, darling, with the wrong dishwasher soap. I have been. It's very <laughs> frustrating. I've dropped off a thing of pods on a friend's like front yeah. porch because I'm like, these are not, these complete ones, like see you later, complete. I need like <laughs> platinum. Beat it. Complete. And I even texted the friend and was like, by any chance, do you use complete pods in your dishwasher? And she was like, yes. I'm like, fantastic. I'll be right home. (laughs) Because the thing is, there's nothing worse than having a product in your house that is not fit for purpose. I shouldn't say there's nothing worse. Very first world problem. But I just got to get it out of here. Once something doesn't work, it's like, okay, other than my microphone, which I kept for ages. I was going to just bring up your old microphone, which you just (laughs) had such an There's a price ceiling. There's like a below 20 bucks. Right. Then it, it goes. has to go over a hundred bucks. Mm, I'll right. try. I'll keep, I'll keep working on it. Anyway, that's, that's a, a funny gripe. Thank you. Yeah. Really domestic gripes you had today. You had lawn and dishwasher. I'm very <laughs> yeah. impressed. Well, what else am I doing? You know, I'm in well, the house. Nothing. Just it's true. It's true. Partially vaccinated, hanging out in the house. Well, thanks for this. This was fun. And uh, hopefully we've given some people churning away thinking high performing means just work 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 hopefully we've had them thinking of a different direction after this podcast 
Also, I just want to say thank you to Deal Closer for not only sponsoring the podcast, but giving me an excuse to use this voice. Yes, and giving the Very discount fun. for our subscribers. That's that's really great. And I think I think it's yeah, it's exciting. Great company. That's it for this week's episode of LLP. Thanks to Interalia Law for presenting the podcast and to Nick Fowler for composing and performing our music. See our show notes for his website. Don't forget, we love feedback. Please comment in the review section or subscribe or like. We'd appreciate it greatly. That's it. Talk soon.